John chapter 11. I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope that you ate too much and cheered on the Cowboys. Okay, I don't know about you, but Dak, I'm locked in. He's my MVP, MVP vote already. Okay, this is the year. If we could just play bad teams in the playoffs, I think we, I think we could get it done. Uh, so uh, let me uh, be maybe the first to tell you Merry Christmas. Now we can say it. N- no judgment on you people that started celebrating November 1st, okay? Uh, we like to give thanks at my house, okay? So now we've done that. So today we're setting up decorations and having cocoa, the whole thing. So Merry Christmas. Uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I love it. So I've been gone, I feel like a lot, the past like a few weeks. So I've been gone preaching other places. Last week, uh, I was at Connection Church in Longmont, Colorado, preaching. Ed and I went, took a couple of our kids, and it was great. So Connection Church, y'all planted them uh, way back in 2021. And so Doug and Dana Hickson, we sent out from our church body to go plant in Longmont, which Barna calls the loneliest city in America. And so, uh, and so that's why they called it Connection Church. You can connect with each other and to Jesus. And so pray for them. They had their biggest attendance ever, 56 people packed out the house last Sunday. And so it was really good. So thank you all for, you know, so either do or don't. So their biggest attendance ever. Okay, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like either do or don't, you know. Uh, thank you to the clappers in the room. That's great. So, uh, so Dana Hickson, so she, you know, started our hospitality ministry here. They're us. I know a lot of you don't know them because we've grown since then, but Pray for Connection Church in Longmont. If you happen to know anybody in the Denver area, you can send them to Longmont, okay? So uh, John chapter 11. So I'm kind of in between series today, so I get to do what I want. Okay, so I'm going to talk about Lazarus. Y'all heard of Lazarus? Spoiler alert, he's going to be raised from the dead, okay? If you don't know, that's going to happen today, okay? And so uh, let me introduce you to a few people around Lazarus. So Lazarus is a guy, and his two sisters are Mary and Martha. We've talked about them some in here. So Lazarus, Mary, Martha, brother and sisters, very close with Jesus. They were like, you know, very, very close. We see them hanging out with Jesus a lot. They were kind of, it seems, kind of upper class of their society, okay? They had been, uh, it seems that they were kind of a well-to-do family. And so that's who we're dealing with today. And y'all heard of Jesus? He's in the story as well. Okay, so we're going to cover a lot of ground today in John chapter 11. So keep those scriptures open, whether digital or this isn't paper, whatever, whatever the cotton or whatever it is, okay? Rabbit trail. John 11, verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill. It was Lazarus, and not like ill like the kids say, but he was like sick. I regret that too. <laughs> Lazarus of Bethany was sick. He was ill. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. And so it was Mary who anointed, they're giving, John's giving you context. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair that's whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent Jesus a letter and said, Lord, he whom you love is ill. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So Jesus' friend is sick. And I love Mary and Martha's letter to him. And it's kind of surprising to me. Short and sweet, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. They don't say, Lord, you know, you know how much Lazarus loves you. He serves people in your name. He's always given to the poor. You know, Lazarus is such a good guy. That guy, he's really sick. That's not what they say. They want Jesus to come and heal their brother. It's life and death. What would you write here? Right? If your, your spouse or your brother or sister, your loved one is about to die, you get one note to God, what would you write? Right? So they, I think I might include a list of good deeds. You know, he did this and this and this and this, and here's all who would be sad if he actually died. Jesus wants you to do it, okay? So, but instead the sisters write, Lord, the one who you love is sick. The, the Bible is so surprising to me sometimes. I would expect 
their note to say something like, Lord, your close friend Lazarus, the, the one that serves all the underprivileged kids at the Y, the one that, remember that time your car broke down, he was the first one there, the one who was just so devoted to you, he needs you to come and heal him. I think that's what I would write. But instead, they say, Lord, the one who you love is sick. Isn't that interesting? Instead of reminding Jesus of how good and loyal Lazarus is and how great Lazarus has been to Jesus, they emphasize Jesus' love for Lazarus. Could it be that this book is actually not about how much you can love Jesus, but actually how much Jesus loves you? Uh, You know, we do all this to try and work and impress God, but you know what really impresses God? His Son. Stack up all of your righteous deeds. Everything that I've ever done that's really, really good, you stack that up and it's a little pathetic, right? But put a spotlight on what Jesus has done, and it's really amazing. It's really awesome. So Jesus' work is what saves you. And then your obedience to live in his way is really the only rational way to live. So obedience and legalism are not the same thing, right? They're two different things. Legalism is doing things so that you'll gain standing with God. Legalism is doing something so that God will finally be happy with you. Obedience is doing what God says because you trust him, because you know that his way is best and you trust your father. Legalism is a prison and obedience leads to freedom. Um, And these sisters, they understand they're, they're standing with Jesus. They understand that Jesus possibly healing, can you hear me still if I do it like that? Okay. They understand that Jesus possibly healing Lazarus has nothing to do with how great Lazarus is, Lazarus is and has everything to do with how good Jesus is, okay? Listen, we do this, right? When we appeal to God, expecting him to do what we say because we've done all this stuff for him, when we appeal to God, God when we pray to God, hey, would you do this because we've been so good, that's a prison, that's not love. That's every other religion in the world. Be good and maybe you'll make it. Be good and maybe I'll bless you. But that's not our God. That's not our God at all. You know, when we expect God to grant our wishes because we've been doing good things, that's a prison, okay? So God, you know, God, I gave to the church. I set up the chairs. I was, I was nice to my kids. I've been working hard at my job. Now come through for me, okay? God is not a means to an end. So if you're here today to put a few more coins in the God bank, so maybe he'll grant your wishes at Christmas or whatever it is, we don't obey God to get stuff, right? We enter into a relationship with him. The sisters write, Jesus, the one who you love, is sick, right? Everything in this story today must be understood under that headline, that Jesus loves Lazarus. And everything in your story needs to be put under that heading, that headline, Jesus loves you. It's all understood in that context. Mary and Martha get that. They believe Jesus can heal their brother. They ask in the right way. Let's see what he does in verse 4 to 6. So they say, they write the letter, Jesus, the one who you love is sick. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, and he loved her sister, and he loved Lazarus. That's not the issue. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He stayed two days longer even though his friend was sick and dying. There's a grander story at play here, okay? In your suffering, there's a grander story at play. 
Maybe you can consider in the midst of your suffering, there's more going on than just what meets the eye. Jesus says that Lazarus dying will give him the opportunity for his glory to be revealed, an opportunity for the Father to glorify the Son. For uh, it is the Father's express purpose that all should honor his Son, even as they honor the Father. Elsewhere, Jesus makes it really clear that he wants to glorify the Father. So the Father and the Son are mutually committed to the other's glory, we see, okay? So uh, please don't read Jesus' reaction here as like callous, right? It's, it's abundantly clear, as you can read there, that he really loved Mary and Martha. He really loves Lazarus. This is not a love issue. It's not a care issue. So then why didn't Jesus go immediately? Because when you love him, you show up. Hey, I'm sick. You run and you go right then. But, but it's not like Jesus, they go to Jesus and like, hey, Lazarus is about to die. And he's like, all right, cool. I got a brisket in the smoker and it really needs time if it's really going to be good. That's not what he says here. So what I want to show you is how loving it was for Jesus to wait. Okay, what Mary and Martha think they want is for Lazarus not to die. But what they really truly want is for Jesus to invade their hearts all the more. What we think we want is the circumstance to change, the bank account to get bigger, this to change, that to change. But what we really want is more of Jesus in our hearts. And we don't even know to ask for that most of the time. So here's the observation that you can write down. Jesus has better timing than me. You want to go and look at one of your neighbors, the one that you like the best, and say, Jesus has better timing than me? How about half y'all did it? You know, if I can see you, you, if you can see me, I can see you. Okay. So it's almost like Jesus knows that what's about to happen is going to confuse us. That's why he makes it so, so, so clear that he loves this family dearly. So Lazarus' death, and again, his spoiler alert, resurrection are not the only, uh, you know, are not only to glorify the Father and the Son, but are for Lazarus and his sisters. It's for their benefit as well. Let me explain. Okay, so stick with me here. So verse 6 says that Jesus stayed two days after he heard that Lazarus was sick, and then the message would have taken one day to arrive to Jesus in the first place, okay? Then it took Jesus a day to get to where Lazarus was, okay? So that's why in verse 17, it shows that Lazarus had been dead four days upon Jesus's arrival. So first off, Lazarus was already dead by the time that the message got to Jesus, okay? Okay, so they didn't have, they couldn't just text, they couldn't just call, it had to actually go to him, and so, but we see that Jesus already knew that Lazarus was dead, being God and everything. So if Jesus had immediately left when he got that letter, Lazarus would have only been dead for one day if he then resurrected him, right? So not enough time to offspread really widespread superstitions of that day. This delay ensured that Lazarus had been dead long enough so that people couldn't just think this was a simple resuscitation, but knew it was an actual resurrection. So there were lots of superstitions in that region in those times. So these people thought that the soul hovered over the body for three days, wanting to re-enter the body. I know this kind of sounds weird to us, but that's what everybody basically thought in that day, that, you're not, that your final death came three days after your body died, that your soul was hovering and it wanted. So you can read more about that in Leviticus Rabbah. If you read a lot of Jewish literature, you can read all about that, okay? So again, not immediate death, but the final death came three days after. Like at that point, death is irreversible, if that makes sense. So uh, instead of coming immediately, Jesus waits four days so that, you know, the Son of God may be glorified, we see in verse 4. Not only that, but waiting four days will increase the disciples' faith, Mary and Martha's faith, everybody's faith around him, everybody involved. I find this often in my life, right, that I am sure that I know the best course of action, but Jesus has just a little bit more information than me, right? So even with this partnership with South Hills that we're pursuing right now, we're going to talk about it in a bit. 
uh, you know, that was an idea about 16 months ago. And I was like, let's go, let's, let's move, let's ride, let's get after it. And it's like taking time and time and time. But now we see so clearly now both churches are really ready for it. We've matured, our culture is set, some things have happened there, and God has really worked all things for good, okay? So, and, you know, another example, adults, you remember when you were a teenager and how your parents didn't know anything? And how if they would just do what you said, everything would be great. If they would know what you know, everything would be amazing. And then you age about 10 years and you're like, oh, that's why they didn't let me stay out till 1 a.m. Okay, that actually makes some sense now. So if you find yourself in a similar situation with God, like, God, just do this. Don't you see what I need here? Don't you see what's happening? Don't you see what you ought to do? Just agree with my opinion here, God. Don't you see what's best? If you start to get frustrated with God because he's not doing what you say when you say to do it, I don't know. Maybe you assume that he has a little bit more information at his disposal than you do or than I do. You know, believing that Jesus really is good and trusting him when you want things to change takes real faith, doesn't it? So much of life is just about applying simple truths. Here's a simple truth that we can apply today if you're writing down, taking notes. When I don't know what Jesus is doing, I can be sure he's doing something. Go and look at your other neighbor that you didn't pick a while ago and say, I don't, when I don't know what Jesus is doing, I can be sure he's doing something. I'm, you don't have to, that one's long. You don't have to do that one. Just write it down. Okay. You know, emergency isn't in God's vocabulary. Dabo says, uh, God doesn't say oops. Dabo Sweeney. Uh, God doesn't say, oops, I didn't know what I, no, that's not in God's vocabulary. And this story today, it ends really well, right? Like Lazarus is going to come back to life. Everything's going to be great. Okay. But what the Bible is not promising is that if you'll just wait, he's really going to give you what you finally hope for. If you'll just wait around, it's all going to come true. Your Disney twirl is coming. It's all going to happen. It's all going to be great because Jesus, because Lazarus died again, right? Lazarus would die again later on. Jesus' promise for you today is his presence. His promise is himself way bigger than a change in your circumstances. (laughs) Way bigger than some things temporarily being better in your life. He promises you a relationship with Almighty God who cares for you. I think it's easy for us to think when God doesn't do what seems right to us, he really doesn't care. Like when he doesn't heal the cancer when he doesn't relieve my child from pain, when he doesn't immediately improve my circumstance, I understand that to mean he's distant and unloving, right? Uh, We can sometimes understand him not responding in the way that we want as indifference even. But friend, listen, you don't know what God knows. I don't know what God knows. Uh, John Piper says that at any given time, God is doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three, okay? He's orchestrating all these things. Mary and Martha both say, If you would have been here, Jesus, if you would have just been here, everything would have been different. But little do they know, the last thing they wanted was for everything to stay the same. When I don't know what Jesus is doing, I can be sure he's doing something. His timing is better than mine. Some of you walked in here probably even frustrated with God. This time of year can be tough circumstantially across our lives. You know, maybe you've even thought like, God, I've given all this up for you. I've been, I've been giving this and doing that all for you, and where are you? But listen, everything you've let go of for God was going to leave you lifeless anyway. He's saving you from yourself all the time. You ever thought, like, what has God not given you? 
Maybe even take some time to write that down this week. Like, what's something that God, that you want him to give you or to have given you, but you didn't have? You can even write that down this week. Like, why didn't God give me Dak's perfect throwing arm or Jeffrey's amazing voice? They have it so easy. You know, they have it so easy. Why did God give me this singing voice? Like, how did they get the scholarship, but I'm left in debt? How is he or she so effortlessly in shape? That dude got the promotion? You ever thought that? I know. That dude over this, what are you... So I remember when our kids were two or three years old, you know, they had the busiest hands in the world. The fastest thing in the world is a two-year-old reaching for the milk and knocking it over. In the whole world, that's the fastest thing, okay? So, <laughs> don't talk about Nico in church, okay? I'll, okay. But, you know, whatever was on the counter, that's what the kid wanted. Our kids at two and three, that whatever was on the counter, whatever was out of reach, that's what they really wanted. But what we, you know, it's, it's hard to explain to two-year-old Judah, my youngest, it's hard to explain to a two-year-old that we're not letting you have the knives because we love you. Like, you're not ready for it, bud. You're not ready for the knives. You're not ready to play with knives. And because we love you, we're keeping you from that. And so he could interpret it as, you don't love me. You don't care about me because you won't give me the knives. But what's really happening is because we love you, we're keeping you from that thing that you want. And so God keeping you from whatever it is, right? Income, job, relationship, Maybe because he loves you. Maybe he didn't let you get married because that dude you wanted to marry was a jerk and he was able to hide that really well. You know, you don't know what God knows. Trust him. He really is good. All right, we got like 25 verses left, so I got to get going. Actually, instead of 7 through 16, I'm going to read 14 through 16 here. So then Jesus said to them plainly, talking to the disciples, Lazarus, has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Wow. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin and said to the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So now the scene is set. Jesus is going to go to the town of Bethany. He's going to go over there and raise Lazarus from the dead, verses 17 through 27. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come uh, to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So Jesus walks into a wake, basically. So when Martha heard that Jesus was finally coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you, would just, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, Lord, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And Jesus said back to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day one day. And Jesus said back to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. My third observation from the text today is Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I want you to see, it's really important that you see what he's doing with Martha here. So she's up first. We're going to see what Mary says in just a minute. So Martha goes up to Jesus and speaks to him. And her first words are not a rebuke or anything, but really it's grief-filled faith that she, you know, that she brings to Jesus. Jesus, if you'd only been there. I know you could have done it. I know you would have done it for us. So Martha shows like deep faith in her grief in verse 22 when she clearly 
says that Jesus is powerful enough to raise her buried brother or her sick brother in that case. So verse 23 is great. D.A. Carson calls Jesus's response to Martha in verse 23 a masterpiece of planned ambiguity because what he says to her, you know, your brother will rise again or whatever. Yeah, yeah, your brother will rise again. So that could be taken to mean like what we say at funerals, like you're going to see him again. You'll, You'll see him again one day. It could mean that, or it could mean he's about to be unburied. Like it's about to happen. So I kind of picture Martha going, like one to ask, like, do you mean like, like right now or like one day in the future? And so what Jesus really wants for Martha, he's discipling her, is to get her focus off of her abstract belief that what, about what might happen on the last day to a personalized belief today that Jesus alone can provide resurrection and life. You know, growing up in the context, you know, I grew up in a Baptist home and a Baptist church, and we had a lot of, we talked a lot about getting saved and then heaven one day. Like, get saved. Do you know that you know? Get saved right now, and then one day heaven's going to be awesome. One day he's going to come back, and heaven's going to be bananas. We're going to get mansions. It's going to be streets of gold. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be awesome. But we kind of left out how we need faith today. We need faith tomorrow. We need faith this week, this Christmas, 2024. I need faith today. I need not just, yeah, it's awesome to have faith in the resurrection one day, but I need to have faith that he's the resurrection today. And that's what he's trying to show Martha. Martha, yeah, I'm proud of you. You know that I have the power to resurrect Lazarus on the last day, but do you believe that I'm the resurrection in your life today? Martha, so in her response in verse 27 is awesome. He's trying to get her to go from a quiet confidence in the future to a complete confidence today. So she doesn't just repeat some words back to him. She carries his point forward by acknowledging him to be the resurrection and the life and is being found in him and him being the Christ. It's so important that she says that, the son of God. She gets it. Martha gets it. So with Martha, Jesus pushed her faith a little bit, and Jesus will have a very different reaction to Mary in just a minute, who actually says the same exact thing as Martha. Let's go and look at that, verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him, she fell at his feet. She's so sad, she's broken. She says to him, Lord, if, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come uh, with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And instead of like Martha, when he kind of doesn't rebuke her, but he disciples her into a deeper faith, uh, Verse 34, he said, you know, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So that you said, see how Jesus loved Lazarus. But some of them said, could, he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So this is a question uh, that I think we all have at some point for God. God, if you would have been there, like if you would have been with me in the trial, if you'd have been with me in the fire, everything would have been different. Uh, well, where do you think he was? <laughs> where do I think he was as I'm going through the fire, as I'm going through the storm? Jesus doesn't take lunch breaks. The Psalm says he neither sleeps nor slumbers. Verse 35 is the shortest verse in the Bible and probably one of the most powerful. We serve a God who feels for you. We worship a God who cares. You know, I talk to a lot of people outside the faith and their question is rarely, does God exist? It's most often, does God care? Does he really care that I'm not married? Does he really care that my dad left? 
Does he really care that I'm broke? Does he really care about me? I'm here to tell you today, Jesus cares so deeply about you and your circumstances and your future and your today. In verse 35, the language makes it clear that it's not just like one single tear rolling down his cheek, but it's like he's really weeping with his sister, Mary, who's sad about her circumstances in her life. If somebody says, you know, I can't believe in God because of the suffering in the world. I've heard that a good bit. Okay, let's say there's no God. Is the suffering still there? Uh, So now there's no God, but still suffering. So now we can't blame God. So who can we blame for the suffering? Oh, okay. Us, our sin. But what if there is a God and the suffering is the fruit of our sin and bad choices and he's absolutely brokenhearted about it? So brokenhearted that he does the most dramatic, loving, heartbreaking thing possible. He sacrifices his own son in our place. Look back, let's see how all this plays out in verse 38 to 44. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by now there's going to be quite an odor, for he has been dead four days. So Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43, when Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Can you imagine? They saw the glory of Jesus in person. Lazarus walks out all wrapped up in burial cloth. Everyone was mourning his death for four days, and then he just kind of walks out, right? Whatever you're facing, whatever you have faced in 23, whatever you're going to face in 24, Jesus is powerful. Jesus cares. I may not know what God is doing, but I can be sure he's doing something. I may want the timing to change and the circumstances to be different, but I can be sure that Jesus is working in my life. And more than anything, more than even circumstances changing, what I really want deep down is for my relationship with God to get deeper. And that happens best in the desert, hate to tell you. So if you would, let me pray for you, and then we're going we're gonna to talk some business about church here in just a second. Let me pray for you. God, it's so refreshing just to get into your word. Your word is alive and active. God, I so quickly, we so quickly have a hesitant faith, have faith that uh, doubts you, even though over and over and over and over and over again, you've proven to us that you care, that you're with us in the storm, that you're going to work all things together for good. So God, give us faith. As we think about the circumstances in our own personal lives, the circumstances that we have as a church, God, I pray that we would place our faith in you all the more, that we would realize that the, that the safest place in the world is the center of your will. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.